your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tuckle Empire. We're catching you on the back half of the week, uh, hoping that uh, all these games aren't canceled already. Once again, I'm Steve Braun, along with uh, socially distant Andrew Krzyzewski here, who is quarantined yeah, in his biohazard. <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. So it is a precautionary biohazard. I do not have my results back yet, but they're were some potential cases at my workplace and also in the volleyball league that I foolishly signed up for. Thinking that seven months into a pandemic, it might not be that much of an issue. And look, everybody wore masks. So I don't know. We'll see. A couple of my teammates have tested negative. I'm hopeful that it's going to be fine. But if not, it's been a hell of a time podcasting on behalf of the 200 or whatever of you who listen to this thing regularly. (laughs) So... uh, Playing a lot of uh, Resident Evil, so until your quarantine is over, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have, I'm gonna have at the very least my handgun on me this whole time, and hopefully I have enough red <laughs> and green herbs to survive a uh, zombie Andrew. Well, you know, I, I will say that what this has taught me about myself is at least I'm not the guy in the zombie movie or show who hides the fact that he's been bitten from anyone else like as soon as i found out this i was like all right not only am i not having anything but like we may have to cancel thanksgiving plans <laughs> like get to yeah. explain to the in-laws but yeah even though we're a few miles away from you we ain't coming over until i know for sure i'm negative so anywho purdue at minnesota and another friday night special i like how so but this is minnesota's third friday night game out of five this year i believe And I like how Minnesota has gone from division contender and national media darling last year to permanently exiled to playing on Friday night like they're a high school team with a quarterback who has a Clemson offer uh, in the span of a single offseason. Look, I don't know what exactly causes a team to be scheduled on Friday versus Saturday. I assume it has something to do with them being in the central time zone, but they're not the only team out there. You know, So I don't know what that's about, but it, it somehow I, it's one of those things that amuses me. Um, well, this will be an interesting. Because, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just saying uh, first team that got scheduled on Friday night was Illinois. So if that uh, against Wisconsin, so if that shows you what they're thinking about Minnesota these days, um, yikes. Yeah, of course. Every single trend we observe this season is to be taken with gigantic, gigantic grains of salt. And then, of course, you got to have uh, your tequila and then lime. Right. And, you know, if there was something to that, then I would have expected Michigan State to be flexed to Friday night by now. But instead, we've just gotten a relentless string of noon kickoffs, which on the one hand is good because it lets me get some stuff done. But on the other hand, man, you know, last weekend I went to break leaves after the game was over. It's dark at like four o'clock here. So you kind of want your game to be in the three thirty or later slots. If you intend to do anything, because if you wait till after the game, you have a window of about an hour to get anything done that you need to be outside for. So Jesus, how much daylight were we saving? Apparently all of it, uh, man. Cause now there's no right. more left. 
Yeah, but at least there's still a little bit of daylight at 7 a.m. now, so that's very important to get. I would think this is a game in which Purdue can get their run game back on track if there's an opponent that that's going to happen against. Again, Northwestern is a mile, you know, this order of magnitude more difficult to run the ball against than Minnesota has been. And as far as the go as the gopher side of that particular equation goes, you would think that over the course of the season, Minnesota's defense would improve somewhat just because they're getting a lot of reps for these younger guys. But we haven't seen that yet. And again, we're halfway into the season now. It really does feel like a normal offseason and a few more bodies is really what they need. So offensively, you know how Minnesota is going to go at this. They're going to try to get Ibrahim to 30 carries. They're going to target Bateman 15 times, probably for about 10 catches. And they're going to hope that that's enough to cover this defense. But again, what we've seen is it probably won't be. So We'll see if there's any more interesting timelines here, but I think so. Hold on. We might actually have some lines here. Perhaps I should consult the gambling spreadsheet. So, no, this is last week. Hmm. Oh, I got to change the week here. All right. So, the early line here is Purdue minus two and a half. That feels about right. I think, I, you know, maybe I would. I'd probably take him up to, you know, three is a big line, but I would probably take him up to three and a half. I definitely take Purdue at minus two and a half here. Um, I just yeah. think their, their, their defense has taken a bit of a step up this year from being the paper thin facade that it's generally been under Jeff Brom. Uh, they, they held Iowa in check fairly well. Not that Iowa's passing game is anything to write home about, but they do have a solid rushing attack. Um, of course, you know, I can't imagine that they're going to be able to neutralize Bateman. Nobody's been able to, but it might not matter if they <coughs> just have more success on a play-to-play basis on offense, which I think they will. Uh, Purdue's offense is, uh, outside of Northwestern, been fairly balanced, and I don't think I think it's a far cry from Minnesota to the Northwestern defense. Uh, and yeah, and uh, Minnesota. Then all of our assumptions about the balance of power are uh, thrown out of whack. Yeah, that could be very true. And the the recurring problem that Minnesota is having now is opposing defenses are de- devoting more and more attention to covering Rashad Bateman because they really have not had a consistent second option emerge. I say consistent because I know Chris Ottman Bell has had a few big catches and he's he's good basically for about 140 yard or every game. But teams are pretty much willing to gamble with that. And if he doesn't get that big catch, he's not bringing much. They're not really incorporating the tight ends the way that we thought they would with their new offensive coordinator. Um, it really is all run game slants to Bateman because this offensive line hasn't been able to hold up long enough for them to take many deep shots. And you, again, Tanner Morgan doesn't really have the biggest arm in the conference either. So what's happened to Tanner Morgan? <laughs> Even, I mean, obviously the biggest thing that's happened is Tyler Johnson's gone, but even when you've, yeah. you've seen him with a clean pocket, he just doesn't seem to be throwing it as well as he was last year. No, but I, th- I think it's hard to understate the loss of a guy as good as Tyler Johnson. I think the impact on the pass protection has maybe been a little bit more pronounced with this offensive line shuffle than it was with the run blocking. 
um, which, you know, is an encouraging sign if you're a Minnesota fan, because at least your bread and butter is still functioning with a couple of new pieces on the line. But that's, that's kind of been my take on it. Um, it is important to remember that they're in a new offensive scheme and that's always going to involve some wrinkles, even if the basics are kind of the same. So yeah, some growing pains kind of expected. It is a little bit of a wasted opportunity here because it's fair to assume Bateman is going to be gone after this year. Ibrahim was draft eligible as well. If those guys are both gone, you'll have Tanner Morgan back and you'll have a pretty good offensive line in front of him, especially with Dunlap and Fa'alele back. But you got to find a whole new crew of weapons at that point. I mean, they've gotten a little bit of Trace and Potts as a backup running back, but even next year, you might be in a world of hurt in terms of finding production. And this is kind of a lost season. You would have hoped that they'd be able to explore some of those secondary options more, but it has really been all Bateman, all Ibrahim, and not much else for the Minnesota offense. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I, I, I don't know if maybe, I mean, last year I thought that Morgan's numbers were, were helped tremendously by the receivers that he had. And that, and that obviously his, weapons were making him look a lot better than he was, but I still, he's still been sort of underperforming based on what I expected with, um, you know, with, with the loss of uh, Johnson, I, I didn't expect him to drop off this much. No, but that happens sometimes. Again, I, I do think it's down mostly to the change in coordinator where honestly, sometimes a guy just fits a certain system and even a similar but still different change in playbook is just not is, is you know hard to change midstream after you've had the same playbook for a couple of years. So it's, it seems like we're both on the boiler train for that one. We'll keep this one moving um, on to Michigan State at Maryland, which we will mention is tentative, tentatively looking like it's going to happen because an outbreak on the Maryland team cost them their matchup with Ohio state last week, which I'm sure just broke their hearts after all, who doesn't oh, want to get no. here? Oh gosh. Guess somebody else will have to put our head on a pike. Uh, of course. Yeah. That, <laughs> that cancellation happened between when we recorded and when we released the episode last week. Yeah. So we wasted time previewing that game for no reason. We demand a refund. Um, we're going to sue the big 10. There's, we're going we're gonna to sue the Big Ten to get that game played. Don't worry, guys. We got you. Not in our America. So if there's going to be a weekly sacrifice to covid Thulu, it's going to be this Michigan State-Maryland game. But that's fine. I, I don't need to – I really don't need to see my team play again at all. The only reason I'm the least bit curious is because it looks as though we are going to go, we being Michigan State. I, I oscillate on whether I say we or not. But Michigan State's going to probably be going with Peyton Thorne at quarterback here, making that switch after Lombardi was just terrible against Indiana. And, hey, I want to see what we've got in him because that's really the only goal left in these last four games is can we find a serviceable quarterback? Can we find a few inspiring impact players that we know we're going to have next year? In terms of talking about Maryland, uh, it's kind of tough because we don't know who's going to be in or who's going to be out. And they already kind of feel like the highest variance team in the league. That being said, I would not predict Michigan State to beat anybody in this conference right now. 
looking at the line, it's Maryland minus five and a half. I'd take them up to a touchdown. So that feels like a good line if you can still get it. Honestly, they could win by 28. They could lose by 35. Yeah, that's right. And that's why. The outcomes would surprise me. Yeah, of all the games that we're looking at this week, this is probably the one I feel least confident in the outcome about. I mean, if there is a team left on the schedule that I think Michigan State can beat, it would be this one. If they lose this game, that one in seven regular season is very much in play, which, again, would be hilarious on account of who the one is. Uh, But I think Maryland is probably the better team here. And yeah, like you said, any outcome is is entirely possible. Now, here's an interesting game that we've seen a few times really kind of decide the fate of the league in the last few years. doesn't feel like it's going to have that impact this year, and that's Iowa going to Happy Valley. Well, uh, I feel like we're being like I'm being repetitive here a lot, but what are we going to see out of Penn State? Um, does every first off, does everybody play? Second, um, I mean, I don't know. Far be it for me to question their effort, but I just don't believe that they were that they were that much worse than uh, than Nebraska, for instance. But um, well, no, as we discussed in the recap, they were two hundred yards of total offense better, and they still found a way to lose. So. I guess I should probably clarify my feelings on that topic. I'm not saying that Penn State's players are quitters or that they're giving low effort or anything. What I'm saying is James Franklin's terrible game management has to be irritating if you're a player. They understand perfectly well what it means to kick a field goal after a 14-yard drive. It means you wasted a lot of time and effort and good plays for nothing because your coach didn't believe in your ability to get a couple more yards, even though you moved all the way down the field. So, and you know, that's, that's what, gotta I mean, bother, you know, that bothers people. The, the most, they, they don't usually like to dwell on players reactions to these things, but I, I believe it was last year that uh, where uh, Lovey Smith decided to kneel it down at the end of the half against Nebraska with a lead. And several of the Illini players just, just threw their head back, rolled their eyes, just, Oh my God, are you seriously going to, have us just kneel it out here. And so you know what happens. I mean, watch Last Chance You. You know that stuff happens. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's certainly another storyline here, which I, I don't think there's ever been a season where you've had more quarterback drama at the midway point, at least not that I can remember. But it's going to be interesting to see if, Franklin wants to go back to Clifford or if he sticks with Levis. I think I, even if you're going to go back to Clifford, you can't do it now. You've got to give Levis a couple more games. If he's equally uninspiring, if he's turning the ball over constantly to, you know, completing 40-ish percent of his passes like he did in his debut, then by all means, go back to Clifford and see if you can rehabilitate him after a couple weeks of focused practice. But I think they've got to give Levis something of a chance here. I don't know that that's been officially announced. I don't remember seeing anything to that effect, but how does that, how is there any other way that you can approach this? Um, Well, cause this is a, this is a, this is a potentially volatile situation for James Franklin because, you know, again, the players just, you know, seem to really like him. Obviously you you have to, at some point, if you're recruiting uh, guys of that caliber and because they've been winning uh, the, you know, all of these mismanagement things that he's done, 
has only really harmed them on the micro level as far as their chances to win a game. But this is a situation where if you handle it wrong, you know, you could you could rub you could create division in the locker room. And so, you know, Franklin's been very good at that part of it, but I don't know that he's been challenged like this because they've been winning so much. No, well, he hasn't been because there's been a natural progression. I mean, after even before Hackenberg was gone, uh, Trace McSorley was obviously the guy. He was the guy that Franklin wanted from day one. He was the guy he brought with him from Vanderbilt who fit the system perfectly. And then he gave them three years of high quality starting play such that the depth chart, the way it formed after that, Clifford was really kind of the natural choice. He was the guy with the most seniority, and especially after Tommy Stevens left. It was like, all right, well, Sean's the next guy. He's the only one who's got multiple years of experience in the playbook. And Clifford was good enough last year that there was no reason to doubt that. So, yeah, now for the kind of really the first time in his tenure there, Franklin has to deal with a real quarterback dilemma where neither of the options are good. Nothing else is working with this team, really. And despite all that, you could argue that they should at least be two and two, notwithstanding all the the terrible decisions they've made that have cost them at least a game, if not two. So, How many quarterback controversies do we currently have in the Big Ten? We have one in Nebraska. Correct? I, uh, I don't think that's a contract. I think that one's resolved. We can put it on. All right. So if we're going to make a list, do you want to mean like ones we've had all together? Because I think Nebraska is resolved. All right. I mean, I still count, would count them. but No, we'll add up all of them. And you could, it could be said that maybe maybe that's not totally over. So we'll count Nebraska. Okay. Um, um, certainly seems like Iowa maybe oh. should have one, but they don't. Oh. Oh, it's not no, they don't. Illinois. By the, I think Illinois does just because if, if all of Illinois' quarterbacks were healthy, do you have any idea who would start? Because I don't. No, Illinois has a full-blown quarterback controversy. So there you go. Um, I think that's truly it for the West, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I say that because – because Isaiah Williams is a guy that that just had you you could see the way that the offense responded to him. Just he, he kept taking a beating and kept getting out there, and he's been praised yeah. for his leadership uh, for his entire time in Champaign. Uh, but Brandon Peters is, you know, is your guy. It was your starter last year, so right. But I mean, how did that go? <laughs> I, I get that there's some credit that will be given to him for Wisconsin and for Michigan State. But really, like, you've got a much larger body of evidence than that, and most of it's been pretty terrible. But anyway, so Nebraska, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. I think that's really it. I wonder if at some point Rutgers considers giving Sikowski another shot. I I think they know what they have in Langen because they've pretty much turned him into a gimmick player. Um, Yeah, they they got really cute inside the uh, goal line area and just had – just had the quarterbacks handing off to each other. Yeah. So you you could maybe say that Maryland had one coming into the season, but I think that, much like Nebraska, that's done. They're, it's Tungle Vailoa as long as he's able to play. Just like I don't think Nebraska goes back to Martinez this season unless McCaffrey really struggles or gets hurt. So I would say five. I think we got five. All right. Speaking of those two West Division controversies, 
Illinois and Nebarcus. Yeah, so a more interesting game than last week because now both teams have gotten off the mat. They're both coming off a win, both looking for a winning streak. I was a little bit surprised by the size of the line. This one, I think maybe I'm still maybe I give Illinois more credit than I should because of them making the bowl last year, but Nebraska favored by 15 and a half. That surprised me a little bit. That uh, doesn't surprise me that much because fundamentally there is a difference between squeaking out a three-point win at Rutgers aided by three interceptions in the second half and beating Penn State. <laughs> I know they're 0-4 this year, but you, you can't. I, no, I, I think we agree Penn State substantially more talented than 0-4. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and Illinois' defense has just looked so lost in pass coverage this year that – I, I got to imagine that Nebraska is going to be looking to exploit that. Nebraska has, under Scott Frost, has always put up a whole ton of yards, a whole ton of points against the Illini. And frankly, Illinois is going to need just a tremendous amount of turnovers to have a shot at winning this one. That's before we get to what happens at quarterback, because as I was saying, the controversy here is Williams gives you the 2018 style upside of you've got a real rushing threat. At quarterback, but Brandon Peters allows you to make the most out of your weapons like Josh Matterbebe um, and Daniel Barker, and I would think Luke Ford. But oh my God, where is he? Get him involved, for God's sake! Well, right. So you could say, well, he lets you make the most of your weapons, but with a couple of exceptions, that still hasn't been very much. And I don't know if that's the design of the system or if limitations with Peters, but this more balanced or pass-oriented offense hasn't really done much for Illinois. Look, I just want to see a team run the option again in this conference. I think it's a fun, interesting diversion. That's me as an observer not having it be my team. So, Well, I recall um, two seasons where Illinois' initial game plan that they tried to do, it didn't work out quite as they thought in you know the early going, and they said, fuck it, let's run the option. And it was in 2007 and 2010. And in both those years, we beat Northwestern, got to a bowl game, beat Penn State, um, did good stuff. You had, you had the one year, Juice Williams and Richard Mendenhall, the other near, year, Nathan Shieldhouse and uh, Mikel LaShore. So, hey, let's turn this into, fuck it, let's run the option. <laughs> it's been a full decade. And probably nobody remembers that. So, well, this game high scoring the only question is is illinois going to keep pace um is illinois going to actually put up points that i don't know about because that's an unknown i think nebraska wins this probably by two or three scores all right now we're going to talk about what i think might be the most interesting line of the week which is michigan at minus eight and a half going to rutgers does that discuss that line what is what is your impression of that because the first thing i hear is man michigan shouldn't be favored by eight and a half against anyone but then I think, well, but they're going, it's Rutgers. And this is still Michigan what? with all their talent. Not simply. Maybe favored by more. In to shit stadium and waltz out with a victory uncontested. Yeah, you're, you're not going to. So the problem is the bathrooms are going to break down and you're going to want to, you're going to be running out of there heading for the porta potties. So. I get that it's been a long season for Michigan, but they're, they're not losing this game, right? Right? Well, imagine being Greg Schiano right now. I mean, he probably smells blood in the water as far as this game is concerned. 
because he might. Yeah. He's got the talent to uh, look. If, if he's been watching Michigan, like I have, he knows all he's got to do is land some shots early. Make Michigan true. draw true first against this defense too. Yeah, I mean, the receivers that have beaten Michigan's defense this year, Bo Melton's absolutely a guy who could be in that category. If I'm if I'm coming at this from Seattle's perspective, you know what I do to prepare for this game? My game captains are Michael Dwumfor and Drew Singleton. <laughs> Two transfers. I send them out there. I, my message all week is this program, this, these bourgeois MFers, thought that your two of your brothers on this team were not good enough for them. They cast him off you know, like like discarded like like yesterday's newspaper. Like they they swatted him up and threw him outside. Let's show them how wrong they were about you, how wrong they were about all of you misfit toy transfers that are most of my most talented players. Um that's the I mean I'm sure he's got a better coach speak angle for it than I just came up with. But there is a psychological angle here that Chiano could adopt if he wanted to. And when you talk about the psychological game that's going to be played here, how does Michigan get off the mat at this point? I mean, they from the first day their players go into that program, they are conditioned to think that merely by being there, they are superior to everyone they come up against. And yet on the field, that has demonstrably not been the case. Well, if you're a Michigan fan... If you're a Michigan fan, what you want to see here is some desperation for a win. You got to see that it matters to this coaching staff that they don't have a win. You got to see, I know that they've got a thing they're trying to establish, but hey, why don't you look at what's hurt Rutgers in the past? Maybe you do some design runs for Joe Milton. You know that he's got this. Maybe you try and get some jet sweeps with your quick receivers and try and disorient the defense. You do some of the things that have been successful against them. Maybe you change some things up. Maybe you maybe you press Bo Melton, and I mean shit. You you saw that uh, you know against coverage against zone coverage, Vedral makes the occasional brain fart. Like those are things where you would be adjusting what you're trying to do. It would be out of character for Michigan, but it would be consistent with somebody that's just trying to do anything they can to get a win. How important is what that? What you're saying is what you're saying is maybe the Michigan coaching staff earns its $12 million this yeah. week. <laughs> That's exactly um, and they usually would rather, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's not a lot. Uh, this reminds me a bit of one of the key pieces of advice I was given by uh, my trombone professor, right? Which is you practice like your fundamentals and stuff, the stuff that's designed to make you better at the trombone. Right. And, and what you want to do is just, uh, you know, you, you want to have this perfect tone and embouchure and, and breathing and stuff. And it's maybe not necessarily that important that you hit the notes. But when you're on a gig, you got to do whatever you can to make the notes come out. Right. Even if that means that you use really shitty technique, if it means you have to force things, if it means you have to do things that, you know, to play, you know, in a way that you're not comfortable with. You got to get the notes out because you got to play the gig. It's pretty similar, man. I mean, Michigan always wants to, you know, to just be practicing for some future, you know, to be preparing for some future game during their games, right? By sticking with what they plan to do all along, you know, yeah, but and by, and by anticipating that we're going to be so good at this that they can't do anything about it anyway. You aren't that team, certainly not this year. 
and not even against this opponent. This is, we are a long ways away from 78 to nothing, which speaking of, you remember when that happened? That was in 2016. All of Rutgers' fifth-year players were in that game. Oh, <laughs> that in their last opportunity to get back at Michigan, they're not going to play with a little bit of extra fire. I, man, I'm not saying Rutgers is going to pull the money line here, um, but eight and a half is a tempting line. I think Rutgers keeps it close. I could be totally wrong. Maybe these teams revert to what we think of as their true selves. Rutgers gets blown out by 30 or 40 and Michigan. And this is just the medicine that Michigan needs to put the first half of the year behind them. But, yeah, none of the trend lines go that direction. All right. So now we get to pivot to a couple of games actually relevant to the division races. And first we'll go West. Wisconsin at Northern. What was that? The semifinals. Yeah, well, yeah, basically. I mean, it's not to say that the winners are guaranteed to win, but again, we're in week five out of eight, and these who, the winners of these last two games are going to be in dominant position in their divisions. So Wisconsin at Northwestern really wants to win this game because then you just end up having to play Ohio State anyway. I'm more interested in seeing what we get out of Wisconsin here, though, because this is going to be the toughest defense they have seen by a wide margin. This is going to be, I think, probably the first game where there's a real risk they have to put the game on Graham Mertz's shoulders without a productive run game for him to lean on. We'll see if this offense, which really hasn't settled on a given back rotation yet, is able to move the ball and keep Mertz on script and in easing in an easy situations. Or if he's got to do more uh, in, in you know standard downs and passing downs, because um, it, it's you know a new challenge for him. It's the only game number three for him. We'll see. Um, this is Northwestern. Why, I think you can. Pre- oh, go ahead. Sorry, this is why Big Ten fans were so horrified by watching what Wisconsin did to Illinois in the opener. Because wait a minute, that's not usually how they win these games. Uh, now, of course, <laughs> right. Grain of salt, right. Uh, they were against Derek Smith, who's maybe the worst starting safety I've seen um, in the league in years. And, uh, you know, a team that that is just never going to figure out how to play zone defense. But still, you just don't – they executed all their stuff perfectly. It doesn't matter how well the uh, other team executed. They could have probably scored just about as much against a decent defense. Yeah, here's the one thing that I feel – pretty confident about i'm pretty sure northwestern is going to score somewhere between 11 and 19 points inclusive so they're going to have points in the teens (laughs) the only question is do they defensively hold wisconsin to a low enough total to make it a game yeah i guess we'll see that is the question i mean they've got a guy in peyton ramsey that's very good at taking care of the ball um where whereas you know, Northwestern has often lost this game with crucial turnovers. Yeah, Wisconsin is the considerably better team. They're favored by six and a half on the line. I think that's probably about right. I'd, I'd probably play Wisconsin to cover that line. I'm not touching but that. It's close. Yeah, it's this is again behind the um, behind the Michigan State Maryland game. This is a game that I have less interest in than the others. So. We'll wrap up now with the East Division title game. It really, at this point, it may as well be because 
I mean, what third place in the East is Maryland at this point, isn't it? Um, so we've got Indiana going to Ohio State. Time for the Hoosiers to cash in their number one contender contract and get their title opportunity. Sure to win the East division. So the question now is, you know, Indiana has over the course of this year and previous years been all about kind of buttoned up mistake-free football being more than the sum of their parts, taking advantage of their opponent's mistakes. Is that going to be even close to enough against the kind of talent Ohio state has, especially when the Buckeyes basically just got a buy to prepare for their toughest game of the regular season. I mean, Indiana has beaten one boss that they've been stuck on. They beat another one surprisingly easily. This is the final boss. Um, And this is probably the kind of final boss that scales with your level. So you can never have a definitive advantage over it. So (laughs) it's no amount of grinding. uh, Yeah. No amount of uh, killing Michigan State and the introductory forest is going to prepare you for this fight. Well, a week ago, a week ago, Brad Keselowski drove him a mistake-free race. Um, But he didn't have as fast a car or as fast a pit crew as Chase Elliott, who won the race and the championship. And ultimately, that's pretty similar to to this year in that uh, Indiana is going to have to play a mistake-free game to even have a shot. That's not to say that playing a mistake-free game will even get them there, but yeah, they're going, to hit, they're going to hit their marks and they're going to need Ohio State to hit the wall. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Now, that being said, I do think Indiana can keep it within three touchdowns, even if Ohio State plays a pretty good game. I've, I've, the thing that I worry about with Indiana is – on an individual basis, their defensive front can be moved. Um, they don't really have superstars in the front. They, they've gotten the defensive results they have mostly on scheme. But at a fundamental level, in this game, I think the question is going to be, do you have anybody who can obstruct Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers on the interior of that Ohio State line? I don't think Indiana does. You really good players up there around that, around that disadvantage. Oh, uh, what was that? You really can't scheme against that kind of a of a matchup. There's just there's just a point no. where there's you can no. try to limit the damage. No, because what Ohio what Indiana will have to do defensively, I think, if they want to stop the run. And again, Ohio State hasn't been a steamroller on the ground. They're not they don't run it the way they did when they had Dobbins, when they had Zeke Elliott, but they're good enough on the ground that Indiana's gonna have to devote extra attention to them. I think there's going to be opportunities for Wilson and Olave and even Rucker at the tight end to make some plays down the field. And yeah, I, I think Indiana will keep it close. I think they will beat that spread, but I don't think they're going to pull off the win here. They've given Ohio state some close games in the past. We're dealing with a different kind of Ohio state than those games involved. Well, you see, this is actually what Indiana's found in the past is that this final boss is a multi-stage boss fight because <laughs> the nature of the game changes when, you know, you get them down to the, a certain amount of HP at halftime and then they they undergo a, the, a rather theatrical transformation in that they just kind of start trying to track meet you in the second half and 
that is where the difference in depth can really show itself. Yeah. But, you know, that being said, I do think this is going to be an entertaining game. If you're going to watch an Ohio State game as a non-fan this year, you might as well make this one of them because until they meet the playoff, this is the closest thing they're going to get to a challenge. So we've kind of eschewed looking around nationally this week, but we will note that earlier today, as we record here on Monday the 16th, South Carolina fired Will Muschamp, the first Power 5 firing of the season. And I'm not saying that this firing was unjustified. Muschamp is a defensive guy, and yet in their current three-game losing streak, they've given up 159 points, which seems like a bit much for a defensive-oriented head coach. And so they fired him. I think I forget what the exact number was, but it was either 13 or 15 million dollars they came up with to get 13. rid of him. Yeah, so she's going to do it. Again. I, I mean Yeah, that that kind of puts the lie to the claim that you might hear from some athletic department or even from us if we say, "Man, you know, I don't know how you do it in this time in this uncertain period of revenue well the way you do it is you know that every other year for the indefinite future you're going to get your money again and you talk to your deep pocketed donors about getting this guy the hell out of here so we can get back into competition what it shows me is if you really have a mind to make a change COVID isn't going to stop you um, South Carolina, let's, let's not confuse South Carolina for Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Florida. They're not a heavy hitting program for them to come up with that kind of money in these circumstances should be instructive that money should not be an obstacle. If you, if there's a change that needs to be made, not that we know anybody like that. I'm just saying as a, as a strict hypothetical. I want to point out that that Millie came back in here and I was looking at her and she was looking down the hall and she certainly looked like she was going to woof again. Uh, she still hasn't done it, but she sure is thinking about it anyway. Um, like her, I am wanting to weigh in and make a lot of noise. So that's what we call. Go ahead. <laughs> so Illinois. They're in a situation where the buyout has become manageable. We're talking between the buyout and the salary under $4 million. The buyout, I believe, is, is $2 million at tops. And this was, again, a part of the restructuring of the deal that was you know, sold as an extension back in 2018. I mean, it was an extension, but part of its purpose was to restructure the, uh, part of its purpose was to restructure the buyout. And... <clears throat> and this is a situation where you got to do some math because Illinois finishes this season one and eight. Now you don't have all the money because you didn't have this, the ticket revenue. How much ticket revenue are you going to get back next year? If we've got a coach that just went one and eight in year five and nobody's going to believe in him anymore. So, then it's also a matter of how much can you reasonably spend? Are we going to be happy to just spin the Mac wheel of destiny again? That probably wouldn't cost a ruinous amount of money. Uh, Sean Lewis has frankly been a guy that when Lovey Smith coached against him in his first game, 
in 2017 or 2018, 2018, I think it was, I thought, oh, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. I sure wish our guy did. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's an interesting question. I was actually talking about Jim Harbaugh, but your thing is fine too. Okay, night everybody. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!